Well, it has not been the prettiest season for the Gonzaga Bulldogs, but with many other top-tier teams struggling, the path to a number one seed in March is still very much alive for Mark Few's squad. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Lockdown Zags Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. All right, we are going to preview LMU Gonzaga's Thursday evening opponent in the second and final segment of today's show. Before we get there, though, I want to talk about Gonzaga's potential path to once again being a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. It didn't seem like a particularly likely situation early in the year, uh, especially after Gonzaga, of course, took that really big beat down at Texas. I think that being Gonzaga's second game of the year really kind of soured a lot of people on the Bulldogs right out of the gate for understandable reasons. That was a pretty, pretty embar- embarrassing loss for a team that doesn't often take embarrassing losses, of course. We saw this team rebound and beat Kentucky. Uh, We saw them then lose to Purdue, who at the time was not a, I think they were 24th, but they had only recently even jumped into the rankings at all. So that loss looked bad at the time, has obviously aged extraordinarily well. Uh, And then, of course, Gonzaga lost to Baylor, a loss that has actually aged a little not poorly, but not as well as it was at the time as Baylor has has had some inconsistencies for uh, Coach Scott Drew this year. But at the time, it's kind of looked like, okay, Gonzaga is going to be a three seed, four seed. Heck, some people were uh, in very, very intense stages of panic back in November, December. We're uh, wondering about this team being as low as a six seed. I had a, a mailbag question that I chose not to discuss on the show, discussing if this is the year Gonzaga would not even make the NCAA tournament. Uh, and we know that uh, fans can get a little reactionary, and that's just part of the deal. That's part of how this thing works. Uh, but now we're looking at a Gonzaga team that quite honestly could play their way into the number one overall seed. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit, where they are right now uh, and what that path might end up looking like. Right now in the AP poll, Gonzaga is sixth. They are behind Houston, Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, and UCLA. Now, Kansas just lost. Uh, We're recording this here on Wednesday morning. Kansas lost on Tuesday evening to Kansas State in overtime. Really exciting game of basketball for anybody who managed to watch that. Uh, That's not going to hurt Kansas all that much. Kansas State is a really, really good team. But anytime one of these teams loses, it's definitely notable in terms of what it means for Gonzaga. Again, Houston, Kansas, Purdue, Bama, UCLA uh, are the five teams ahead of Gonzaga in the AP poll. Gonzaga isn't quite as favored in many of the other analytical uh, measurements. Ken Palm has them ninth. The net rankings have them 10th. Torvik's system has them all the way down at 19. So we're looking at a team that is a top 10 team by basically every metric, is a borderline top five team by the AP poll. So they're right in that conversation. Now, The same caveat applies to Gonzaga that has always applied to Gonzaga and really rarely applies to other teams, although in this situation it does apply at least to Houston. Gonzaga's, their their margin of error is razor thin. They cannot lose any other games. If they want to be a number one seed, if they want to get a number one next to their name again in March, they cannot lose another game. They have at least... Two more games against St. Mary's, one of the top 10 teams in the country by most of the analytics, uh, a a team that is unfortunately still unranked despite pretty clear evidence that they should uh, be in that conversation as a top 25 team. Gonzaga's got them twice. They probably got them three times, depending on how the brackets shake out in the WCC tournament. But 
three chances at Randy Bennett. I, it's hard to win all three of those. It's hard to win all three of those, even in years when St. Mary's isn't this good. But this is one of the best teams Randy Bennett has ever had. And for Gonzaga to beat that team three times, l- let me just say this. I don't think they're going to beat them all three times. I would be surprised if they did. I would be ecstatic if they did, but I would be surprised if they were able to pull that off. However, if they do and they don't lose any other games in the WCC that they don't have any business losing. Frankly, St. Mary's the only team that, I don't want to say should, but it's not a bad loss if Gonzaga loses to St. Mary's. St. Mary's a really good team. No other team in the WCC can is a good loss for Gonzaga. If they can avoid that and win all the way out and be a 28-3 and team, there's a pretty good chance that they end up on the number one line. Now, that doesn't necessarily guarantee it. I think they still need some help from other teams. Again, the nice thing for Gonzaga right now is if if this comes together, they would be 28-3, and they wouldn't have any bad losses. Purdue, not a bad loss in any way, shape, or form. If Purdue were to struggle, it would hurt Gonzaga in that way, but it also might help Gonzaga actually get a number one seed. Baylor in Texas, the other two losses for Gonzaga, of course, neither of those at this point are bad losses. Uh, that could change, although I would be surprised Texas did just lose to Iowa State, but that was a number seven seeded Texas versus, or a number seven ranked Texas versus number 12 Iowa State. So not exactly a backbreaking loss for the Longhorns. And then for Gonzaga, one thing that's really helped them is that two of their wins have aged extremely well. The win over Alabama and Birmingham might be the best victory in the, of the season. It might honestly be the best. Kansas State just beating Kansas might have just taken it away from Gonzaga. That might be a slightly better victory there uh, for the Wildcats. But Gonzaga's win over Alabama in Birmingham, really nice win for them. And then their win in the PK-85 over a Xavier. That's a really nice win for them as well. It didn't look like a great win at the time. Xavier wasn't even, I think they were getting a handful of votes for the top 25, but that was it. But that win has aged really well. The Alabama win has aged really well. If Gonzaga wins out 28-3, and three, I think they're right in that conversation. Uh, looking at the teams that are ahead of them in the in the rankings right now, kind of discussing what might need to happen. Houston's probably not going to lose again. Houston, they're in an easier conference. Again, I know it's an argument used against Gonzaga for decades, so I don't like using it against other teams. But I think Houston absolutely deserves to be a number one seed, and I don't think anybody's going to knock them off of that. Now, their margin of error, as I mentioned before, razor thin. One loss to Memphis, that's probably it. They'll still be a two seed. Maybe maybe they fall all the way to a three seed. They shouldn't. That should not be the case. Uh, Houston's only loss on the season is to Alabama, and they were up 15 in that game before all, uh, collapsing in the second half and letting the Crimson Tide come back and win. I think Houston's going to be a number one seed when the March when March Madness rolls around. Kansas, again, I think they're still in that conversation even after losing to Kansas State, but they're in the Big 12. And it's really, really hard to play basketball in the Big 12 this year without losing it. Kansas has been fantastic. They were kind of playing with fire. They had, I think, four of their last five games prior to the Kansas State game were determined by four points or less. So they were playing with fire, finally got burned against Kansas State. If they can avoid too many more losses, they should be on that one line. But it's the Big 12. It's not going to be easy to do. Purdue is going to be an interesting case. Again, Gonzaga doesn't want them to lose too much. If they just completely collapse and implode in the second half, that doesn't necessarily help Gonzaga all that much just because it kind of sours their loss against them. But by and large, I don't think that – I think Purdue is going to continue to stay in that conversation. The Big Ten is is iffy this year. They just got themselves a nice win over Tom Izzo in Michigan State. That's an important win for Zach Eady's club. Uh, We'll see kind of how they do against some of the rest of the Big Ten opponents as they continue to face them. But I think there's a decent chance that Purdue drops two, two more games this season, and that might be enough to push them off the one line. Would Gonzaga replace them? Yeah, it's a little hard to say, uh, but that's that's a team to, to keep an eye on there. 
Alabama's got themselves a tough remaining schedule still. They look like the best team in college basketball right now. They have played phenomenal in recent games, just blew out Vanderbilt on Tuesday evening. Uh, but they still got Tennessee on the road. That's a really, really tough game. Uh, they got Auburn twice, uh, once, of course, once at home, once on the road. Uh, Bama's a better team than Auburn, but Auburn's going <laughs> to, they're going to play them really well. I can almost guarantee you that. Uh, Bama's margin of error there is not super huge either. I think they can probably lose one more game and still be in that conversation for a number one seed, but uh, you know, they, they don't have a lot of wiggle room outside of that. And then you have UCLA. UCLA has got a lot of tough games left. Uh, they, they've been unscathed in the Pac-12 up to this point. But part of the reason is they haven't played Arizona yet. They got two more games against them. They got two more games against Arizona State. Not a great team, but a team that is capable of beating UCLA. They're at Oregon. Oregon is a really confusing, kind of mystifying team. Talked a lot about them on a recent episode of Locked On College Basketball. If anybody wants to check that out, but uh, they're they're going to defend their home court quite well there. And then, of course, UCLA also has at USC, which is not going to be an easy game either. Uh, I think UCLA could could probably lose two of those games. Could probably lose two more games in the WCs, or excuse me, in the Pac-12. And if they do that, I think that kind of pushes them out of that conversation. They'll still be a high two seed, maybe a three seed, but might push them out of the conversation for a one seed. And then, of course, outside of that, you got some other teams that are in this conversation that, that could overtake Gonzaga, move past them in the AP poll. I don't think there's a ton of schools that'll do that, especially as long as Gonzaga wins out, which, again, is the only way that this potential number one seed even works at all. I'd keep an eye on Kansas State. Uh, after beating Kansas, they are really rolling right now, 16-2, and two, playing in the Big 12, got a lot of chances for quad one victories, a lot of opportunities to really boost their resume even more. They did have a recent loss to TCU. That really hurts them. Uh, but TCU, not a bad team to lose to either. So uh, they're a team to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, Texas, another team to keep an eye on. Like I said, they just lost to Iowa State, but that's not a bad loss for them at all. And then Tennessee. I'm keeping an eye on Tennessee as well. Uh, they obviously got Bama again. If they can defend their home court, beat Alabama, if they can run through Auburn, beat some of the other teams in the SEC that that give them at least nice quality wins. But they have to be basically perfect. They already have three losses. The loss to Colorado is going to hurt them. Uh, this team has to be nearly perfect in order to be in that number one seed conversation. I see them more as more likely to be a three seed than I do to be a one seed. So overall, Gonzaga has a chance here. I think it's a small chance. I think they're kind of cemented in the two seed line right now. I think that the range for them is one to as low as four if things go pretty poorly for the rest of the year. But uh, I think their most likely outcome is probably a two seed, which a lot of people in early November and mid-November uh, or in early December, at least, uh, probably wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have thought this team would be cemented themselves in the number two seed conversation. So still a really nice kind of turnaround for Mark Few's team this year. And there's still a lot of season left to go. So we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. The Zags uh, host a surprisingly good LMU team on Thursday. Could this Lions squad give the Zags another cardiac episode? More on that after a word from today's sponsor, Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are fully back, fully back in action. Most are just now getting underway. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. 
All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked on Zags. And I want to thank all of you again for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball, for your second listen today. It's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's talk LMU Lions today here. The Zags are hosting LMU on January 19th, Thursday at 6 p.m. at the Kennel. I like to report where the games are on TV. This one is not nationally televised, so for those of you who have Root, you'll be able to watch it there. Uh, otherwise, got to do some digging to find out how to watch this game. Uh, but this should be a good one. Uh, the Lions were kind of not expected to be one of the better teams in the WCC, kind of expected to be in that mid-range. And quite frankly, that is where they are. But uh, the middle of the WCC has kind of elevated itself a little bit. And this is a this is a decent LMU squad here. They're 13-7 and seven on the season. Ken Palm has them just, just barely outside the top 100 uh, among Division I teams. They are 101st per Ken Palm. Offensively, they are 91st. Defensively, they are 115th, so a decently balanced squad. Uh, from a tempo perspective, they are 157th. So we've seen Gonzaga face a, a handful of teams who, especially in the WCC, really push the pace. Pepperdine is a, a fast, quick-tempo team. BYU is a quick-tempo team. Uh, of course, when Gonzaga eventually plays St. Mary's, they will run into the opposite of that uh, feature when they, when they play the Gales. But this LMU team is kind of more in the middle. Not going to get out and transition a bunch, not going to push a whole bunch, but also not uh, not St. Mary's, not Virginia, not not that level of like really slow and methodical and never, ever getting out in transition. The Lions started the season out two and two, uh, kind of a, a frustrating start. Uh, they lost to UC Riverside, a team that they were beating by 18 at one point, let them come all the way back and win. They also have a lot early loss to UC Irvine, two big West losses uh, early in the season. Not the worst big West teams, but. Still not a great recipe for a successful season, but then they kind of turned things around. They got themselves a pair of Power 5 victories, one over Wake Forest, which is a decent victory, the other one over Georgetown, which is a victory. We will put it that way. Georgetown among the worst Power 5 programs uh, this year and really of the last five years, quite honestly, but still. You're glad to see LMU pick up a victory in that situation, regardless of the caliber of said Power 5 opponent. They have a couple other good wins as well. They got a win over Nevada. They have a win over Grand Canyon, who's a perennial whack uh, contender for the WAC championship. Uh, they have a blowout win over Portland once they got in the conference play, and they have a win over BYU. So this team has proven that they can beat good teams. They can beat very quality, Power Five caliber, or at least very solid mid-major programs. From a loss perspective, not a ton of bad losses. The Riverside and Irvine losses really early in the year are kind of the ones that are hurting their resume the most. Early season losses are tough because you're still adjusting to new teams, new personnel, all of that stuff. Since then, they haven't suffered any terrible losses. Colorado State, Utah State, two decent Mountain West teams, not, not horrible losses there. Conference loss to San Francisco. USF, obviously a, a good program in the WCC, although they haven't played particularly well since they've been in the conference. And then their other bad loss. And the kind of mystifying loss to the Pacific Tigers, not a good WCC team, not a team on the caliber of LMU, yet somehow Pacific managed to pull off a victory. Uh, kind of cementing LMU as this somewhat confusing team. They can play up with really good teams. They can beat Power 5 programs. They can lay waste to teams like Portland, who they're probably comparable with. And then they can lose to bad Big West teams. They can lose to the worst WCC teams. So they're kind of all over the place a little bit. And which team shows up? 
on Thursday will kind of determine a lot about how this team is, how this game is going to go. Now, part of the reason that LMU is so mystifying is kind of all over the place is because they rely heavily on the outside shot. Most teams that rely heavily on the outside shot show a little bit of inconsistency. Right now, LMU is 24th in the country in made threes per game. They average making 9.5 threes per game. That means they basically average getting their fans a taco or a hamburger or whatever the heck they do at LMU if they do anything there for 10 made threes. But that's a really nice result for LMU. They're shooting 35.8% as a team. So they make nine and a half threes per game on about 36% from deep. That's really good. No other way to look at it. That's very, very good. The rest of their offensive profile is not so great. 45.8% from the field, not bad, not terrible, fine. Uh, And then really bad from the free throw line. 67.8% as a team from the charity stripe. You would expect that a team that relies so heavily on the outside shot probably doesn't get to the line all that much just because you're more likely to foul a guy two feet away from the rim than you are 27 feet away from the rim. Uh, But still for LMU to not only not be getting to the line all that much, but to be converting at a pretty pretty terrible clip, well under 70% uh, is concerning for this team uh, and something that Gonzaga could potentially exploit. Uh, in terms of personnel, the player to watch for this team is Cam Shelton. Cam Shelton has has legitimately blossomed into a star. He began his career at Northern Arizona, spent three years there, transferred to LMU last year, was good for the Lions last year in a smaller role. I think he averaged about eight and a half points per game last year. Uh, and then this year has kind of taken the reins as their leader, as their star player, and he has been excellent. He's averaging 18 and a half points per game, six rebounds, just under five assists, and two steals per game. Really, really nice stuff in the stat sheet, doing a little bit of everything for the Lions. He's not a very efficient scorer, under 43% from the field, under 34% from deep. So a guy who's going to chuck a lot of shots. He's a little bit like Khalil Shabazz in that way. Their games aren't super similar, but in terms of production, in terms of usage rate, in terms of efficiency around the uh, just – as a shooter in general, there's vaguely similar kind of profiles. So that's kind of the type of player to keep in mind here as we prepare for this game on Thursday. Uh, the other player, the, the one that's the most notable, the, the face of LMU is Kelly Leo Pepe. Uh, he's been fantastic this year. Really, really nice, big for them. He's 6'6". He's kind of an undersized four, uh, but he's a big-bodied guy. He's a very, very good rebounder. He moves well for his size. Uh, currently in the season, he's averaging 14.5 points and seven rebounds per game while shooting, not a typo, 46% from deep. This dude is a straight-up shooter. That's Rasir Bolton levels of efficiency as an outside shooter from a six foot nine forward. He can really light it up from deep. It's not a small sample either. He takes a fair amount of threes every single game. He's part of the reason, a big part of the reason that LMU is such an efficient outside shooting team. And that's going to be an interesting wrinkle for Gonzaga. They're going to have to find ways to defend away from the rim with some of their bigs. I'm not sure whether they're going to have Drew Timmy trying to guard Kelly Leo Pepe, whether they're going to put Julian Strother on him. Maybe it'll be Anton Watson. That's probably the more likely scenario because Watson is a good perimeter defensive player uh, and can the Zags can afford to have him away from the rim. So kind of an interesting wrinkle. We'll see how Gonzaga ends up defending that. Uh, the other thing for LMU, though, is they don't have a lot of depth outside of that. Those are their top two scores. They only have one other scorer who's over seven and a half points per game. That's Jalen Anderson. Come, uh, he's averaging about 10 points per game. So they've got three guys around 10 points per game. Uh, and then after that, not a ton of depth there. Uh, and then as we've talked about with a lot of mid-major programs, a lot of WCC programs, this team doesn't have a lot of size. 
Rick Asanza is their only player over six foot nine who plays any kind of minutes. He's a seven foot one center from the Republic of Congo. Big, big dude. He only plays about 14 minutes per night. Not a particularly efficient player. It'll be interesting to see if the if the Lions play him more in this game in an attempt to potentially put somebody big in front of Drew Timmy and not let him get as many easy looks around the rim. We'll get into some of those keys to the game here in a second, but uh, another note for LMU. They're outside the top 245 in assists and steals and blocks per game. So we're not talking about a team that distributes the ball exceptionally well, not getting a lot of steals, not getting a lot of blocks. Uh, How they are able to get Gonzaga into turnovers is something that we'll have to kind of watch for in this game. LMU, not nearly as much of a pushover as they've been in previous years, but here are what I have my eye on is five key things to watch for in this contest coming up right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're still talking Gonzaga versus LMU Thursday, 6 p.m. tip. At the McCarthy Athletic Center, going to be another fun game for the Zags. Uh, I'm sure many Gonzaga fans are hoping this game will look much more like the Portland game than the San Francisco or Santa Clara games where those things came right down to the wire. Uh, Being at home probably helps Gonzaga fans feel a little bit easier here. I kind of want to just talk about things I'm going to be watching for in this game. They're not necessarily keys to victory, although if Gonzaga does these things well, that is going to help lead them to a victory. Number one. Big key for them, especially after the BYU game, and especially against a team like LMU, how does Gonzaga defend the perimeter? LMU is a very, very good shooting team. Like we said, 36% from three. They average making 10 per game. They shoot like 26 a game on average. This team is going to shoot a lot of threes, and they're going to make a lot of threes. And Gonzaga is not a good team at defending the three-point line. So that's going to be an interesting case. Now, part of what the struggles were against BYU were defending the three in transition. BYU would get up, they'd push the pace, they'd throw the ball ahead, they'd get open looks that way because Gonzaga was chasing shooters who were stationed around the three-point line while BYU was out in transition. LMU doesn't really do that. That's not really an an area of their game. Are they going to attempt to do that after watching the tape and seeing, hey, here's a really big flaw in Gonzaga's defense? Because that might be a strategy that we see this team take. We've also seen a lot of teams attempt to run with Gonzaga, and it rarely works. It almost always fails. So there's kind of an an interesting dynamic that Stan Johnson and the Lions have to figure out of like, we could try to push the pace, try to get open looks in transition, especially from beyond the arc, because we know that Gonzaga struggles with that. But 30 minutes into the game, is every one of our players just going to be absolutely gassed while Gonzaga is just running all over this? That could end up being a reality for this team. For Gonzaga, I just want to see them make some adjustments. Transition defense is difficult and losing shooters in transition is probably not something you can just fix with a few practices necessarily, but it has been an issue for Gonzaga for a while. And teams are going to exploit that. Teams are going to figure out how to do that. LMU is not a great team and they might be able to exploit this. Enough to lead to a victory? Probably not, but enough to make Gonzaga a little nervous? Yes, absolutely they could do that. So it'll be interesting to see how Gonzaga makes some adjustments to that and whether LMU chooses to try to attack that particular weak point in Gonzaga's defense. Next up, I'm curious how the bench minutes are going to shake out specifically in the backcourt. Specifically, Malachi Smith. Malachi Smith was awesome against Portland. Absolutely awesome. 27 points. Huge statement performance from him. And we've seen him do this before. It's not like he hasn't had really good games previously. He just hasn't been all that consistent. 
They'll have a 20-point game, a 27-point game, a 15-point game, you know, four or five from shooting, like a really nice, efficient, solid performance. And then the next game, he might not do anything. He might play 11 minutes. He might have two points. That might be it. And we've kind of seen that throughout the year from him. And for Gonzaga to be that number one seed in March, for Gonzaga to be a team that makes a run to the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, maybe even the Final Four, Malachi Smith needs to be a consistent bench scorer consistent night in night out he's giving you minutes he's giving you production he's knocking down open shots i know he can be that guy this game really good opportunity for him to show hey it's it's not in every other thing it's not this game and then maybe not this game and then maybe this game it's every game for for mark few too it's an opportunity to say hey i'm going to reward you for playing well you're going to get more minutes in this game mark few doesn't always do that and it can be frustrating to see a guy come in, have a good game. You know, Hunter Salas, we talked about that in a recent episode, had a couple really nice defensive performances, and then all of a sudden sees himself only playing like 17 combined minutes between the Santa Clara and San Francisco games. So I'd like to see Mark Few reward Malachi Smith with nice minutes in this game. I'd like to see some more of Hunter Salas. Of course, I'm always, always advocating for more Hunter Salas. I think a game like this where there's a, a good three-point shooting team and a good perimeter player in Cam Shelton, it makes some sense for Hunter Salas to be out there putting the clamps on the opposing guards. And then, of course, depending how this, you know, how the result shakes out here, we could end up seeing a fair amount of Dominic Harris in this game as well. Next key or thing I'll be watching for. Can Drew Timmy put himself back in the National Player of the Year conversation? I don't want to imply that Drew Timmy is out of the National Player of the Year conversation, but what happened this last week is that Zach Eady absolutely torched Michigan State. He took them to the woodshed. It was a really nice performance from him. Uh, he had like 40% of Purdue's points, something ridiculous like that. I know at one point Foster Lawyer was uh, Purdue's second leading scorer. He had six points. This was in the second half. In the second half, lead, second leading scorer for Purdue, Foster Lawyer, six points. Zach Eady had like 25. He had a monster game. He has been the catalyst for the National Player of the Year race for quite a while now. Uh, he's got a, obviously facing tougher competition night in and night out in the Big Ten. That helps his case be continued to be stronger. Uh, but Drew Timmy can can make a move. He can make an, make an announcement here. 25 points, 10, 15 rebounds, five or six assists, really efficient night from the field. All of a sudden, you're back in that conversation a little bit. Uh, the year of the big has continued. Oscar Shibwe uh, has not had the kind of season many expected him to have, but he just put up a monster game against Georgia. 37 points and 24 rebounds for Oscar Shibwe against Georgia. Monster game for him. Armando Baycott uh, just had a, a second consecutive game where he had a double-double in the first half for North Carolina. So we are seeing those bigs step up and have monster performances. Uh, it's Drew Timmy's turn to do something really, really elite, uh, potentially as soon as against LMU on Thursday night. Couple more keys here in this game. Next one, Nolan Hickman versus Cam Shelton. This is going to be a really interesting matchup for me. It's another quality guard for Nolan Hickman to face up against. Hickman has faced really good guards in the WCC. I don't think that the national media, the national pundits are going to give him a lot of credit for, for the players that he's faced. Oh, like, oh, Nolan Hickman's doing better in the WCC. You know, big surprise. That narrative has kind of died. Not died, but it has quieted a little bit. But particularly looking at the WCC, Khalil Shabazz, excellent guard. Brandon Podzimski, excellent guard. BYU's guard plays a little bit more suspect, but Rudy Williams, very, very good guard. Tyler Robertson's a really good guard at University of Portland as well. And now, of course, Cam Shelton, a guy averaging close to 20 a night. Uh, a good, you know, he's a decent defensive player. He's a good rebounder. He's a good distributor. Nolan Hickman's going to have his hands full on both ends of the floor. And I'm really curious to see how he responds, how he performs in this game. We've seen some, a little bit of inconsistency from Hickman. 
as we've gotten into WCC play. It'd be nice to see him step up and have a really nice game here against a quality backcourt at LMU. And then the last key here, I'm curious if or when or how much we will see of backup big man Efton Reed. We know that Ben Gregg has solidified his spot as the number three big behind Drew Timmy and Anton Watson, and he should have. He has very clearly earned that. He is a hardworking, relentless dive all over the floor, bruise yourself up, get your gas yourself in the first four minutes of being on the court. That's the kind of player that Ben Gregg is. I love it. We all love it. It's fun to see Ben Gregg be that. And I think we're going to see more of that from him against LMU, but I want to see what Efton Reed can do. And I want to see Efton get opportunities to play against other WCC opponents. So he gets a feel for, okay, what, how does our offense work against LMU? How do we, you know, what, what mismatches can we exploit? And obviously every team changes every year. So Efton's going to be learning new things next year when he's playing LMU as opposed to this year. But I think getting those experiences, getting those opportunities to go against those teams, see kind of what, you know, what they're practicing in practices, how that's translating to game action. And so for, for Reed, five minutes in this game, that's all it needs to be. Just a few minutes to get down, get some post touches, figure out when LMU attacks with the with the double team, how they do that, those kind of things, get a sense of, of those kinds of defensive decisions that the other team makes so that he's a little bit more prepared next year, so that he's more ready for that kind of situation when he comes into it next season when likely he's playing a much bigger role because of some departures in the front court. So I'm hoping to see some of Efton Reed in this game so we can kind of see him continuing to grow and learn and develop as he primes himself for a bigger role in 2023-2024. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast if you haven't done so yet. You can find it on YouTube where you can also find the Lockdown Zags Podcast. Go hit subscribe to both if you haven't done so yet. It's a nice little Thursday treat. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you're listening to this treat for me. So very much appreciated. Again, want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. And of course, as always, go Zags.